Very excited about our passage of scripture today. It's a really good one. Not that they're not all good, but sometimes, you know what, I'm, you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes you come to it and you're like, man, this is good. So I want us to first think about the word notorious. Notorious. What does notorious mean? Notorious means that you uh, have a certain reputation. And typically when we use the word notorious, we think of it in a negative context, right? Somebody's notorious for a certain kind of behavior, a certain kind of, uh, they're famous, but not in a good way. You know what I mean? Um, now, in college, I was notorious for a few things, and I won't repeat some of those uh, here publicly, um, but my friends like to call me surprisingly athletic. And it really wasn't a compliment. Um, they called me surprisingly athletic. Uh, we would go play basketball, and usually uh, I just, I, I'm not tall, but I'm not short. I'm not strong, but I'm not weak. You know, I'm just somewhere, whatever, right? Just a normal dude. And so I usually got picked relatively down at the bottom. Okay, last. I got picked last. And, um, but it was okay because I knew how to play basketball, right? And I knew how to out-hustle and how to out-rebound and how to make a difference in the game despite my father's passed-on uh, athletic ability, right? And so one day I'm playing and this, uh, and I hit a three, okay? You can ride off one, then it comes down again, another guy, he's not really guarding me, I hit another three, right? And he looks at me and he says, you're surprisingly athletic. I said, that's not a compliment. That is an underhanded dig, if I've ever heard it. Uh, but that was my, one of my reputations, right? And reputations and being notorious for something are hard to shake, right? Anybody ever had a reputation in the room that you would like to shake? Yeah, probably. You're not raising your hand because you, you want to be done. That's in your past, right? Well, today in our uh, scripture... Jesus is going to interact with a lady who is notorious, meaning she is known for something. And what she's known for is not good. Uh, she has a nickname, The Sinner. And she is known by her sin in the whole community. And we're going to see how Jesus interacts with the notorious. Right? And Jesus is going to interact with her, and he's also going to interact with someone else who is notorious, a Pharisee. He's notorious for his righteousness, for his buttoned-up nature of a life, for his um, following all the rules, being respected. And Jesus is going to interact with both of these. And he's going to take this woman who is notorious for her sin, and he is going to extend just expensive forgiveness on her. And we're going to see the Pharisee, even though he has much less sin in his life, not receive that forgiveness because of his heart. So let's read it. Look at Luke chapter 7, verse 36. It says, One of the Pharisees asked him, that is Jesus, to eat with him. And so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, 
brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. Verse 41. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let me pray. God, I thank you this morning, God, that you bore the cost of our forgiveness. And though we may view ourselves as as, as righteous and put together, God, it cost a lot to extend forgiveness to each one of us. God, and so we, first, we thank you for this forgiveness. That's in Jesus, God. God, I pray this morning that we would not um, love little like this Pharisee does. God, but that we would understand the depths of our sin and how much you have forgiven us. And it would lead us to love a lot, to, to extend grace a lot, to show mercy a lot. Because we realize that that's how we've been loved. That's how we've been forgiven and that's how we've been shown mercy. And so I pray this morning, as we read this and we see this, God, that you would, um, one, forgive the sinners in the room. Maybe those who have never understood that forgiveness at all. God, and that you would move them to love our neighbors, our community, our church. And so we love you this morning. Thank you for loving us. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right, so Jesus gets invited to this lunch, this Pharisee's house. He's, he's remember, Jesus is in the north, he's in Galilee, and he's going uh, town to town, often synagogue to synagogue, and he's teaching. And as was the case a long time ago, this would have been true in a small Baptist church. What did you do after church? If, if there was a guest preacher in town, what did you do? 
Milton, I, I hear you saying that you invite him over to lunch, right? Because that was the hospitable thing to do. And so this Pharisee uh, has invited Jesus to his house for lunch. Now, if you don't know, Pharisees, it's a biblical word. They were this uh, group of religious leaders in Israel that were the most conservative, the most put together, the most righteous, religious, good people in their day, right? These were respected men. These were good people by all earthly standards. Um, and he invites Jesus over, right? So he, he seems on the surface to be this kind, hospitable person. He's saying, hey, come to my house for lunch, but we're going to see that he's really not open-minded to Jesus. He's antagonistic in his heart towards Jesus. Uh, it's going to show in his behavior. So he, Jesus comes, and it says in verse 36, um, that he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. This is how they, they ate a table on the floor, and they would, I, this doesn't seem comfortable to me at all. Anytime you read about this, they say, oh, it was the most comfortable position. I'm like, no, I don't want to eat laying down. Anyway, they're laying down, feet away from the table. Why? Because their feet are disgusting, right? They wear sandals and they're, they're just gross. So they're getting their feet away from the table and they're getting their head towards the table and they're having conversation and they're, they're sharing a meal. Now, when, when, when a rabbi would have come to a house like this, it would have been very normal for them to open up the, the windows and the doors. And even though they, the, the crowd would kind of gather around to listen in, they weren't invited to the meal, but they were invited to come and learn from this conversation that was going to happen. So that seems weird to us, but to them, this is normal, right? The doors would have been open, and there would have been a crowd together. And that's where we encounter our second character in the story. Verse 37 says, and behold, it's the idea of like, wow, and out of nowhere, behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flank, a flask of ointment. Luke tells us about this woman, and she is notorious, right? And what is her notoriety? She was a sinner, right? I don't know who we would label this in our culture, like, hey, meet my friend Joe, he's a sinner, right? Hey, this is my friend Sandy, she's a sinner. Like, we would never say this, but we might think it. We might know it when we see that kind of person. Now, this, this woman has two strikes against her already. One, she is a woman in a male-dominated society. She's an outsider. She's not allowed at these kind of conversations. She's not allowed in the inner circle. But not only that, she is a sinner. She's probably a prostitute. Let me just throw that word out there. Most likely, this is what she's known for. She is a prostitute, and everybody knows when you see her, you know what you're after. You know what you get. So needless to say, she wasn't invited to the table, but she was standing around. She heard that Jesus was going to be there. Now, we don't know if she had had interaction with Jesus before. I think yes. I think yes. Um, but she heard he's going to be there, and she comes, and she brings this ointment she knows that, um, that Jesus is going to be around. Now, this, this alabaster jar of ointment, 
uh, some I read this week, it would cost almost a year's wages, this, this perfume, right? So she's obviously done well in her exploits, um, but she brings this to anoint Jesus. She's not going to pour the whole thing, but she's, she's bringing her best. She's bringing something of significant value. She wasn't playing around. And in verse 38, it tells us, Now she was standing behind him at his feet, weeping. And she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, she was not welcome in this room. So she likely had snuck in. Maybe she's got a cloak on. Maybe she's got, I don't know, I don't know, mask, the little glasses with the mustache thing. I don't know, right? But she's come in, and she's gotten near Jesus behind his feet. And I, I think she's going to anoint his head. You don't anoint people's feet. That's weird, right? Uh, she's going there, but she never makes it that far. And she knows who Jesus is, and she begins to weep. The word literally means to rain, like rain down from heaven. She is not just casually wiping the corner tear from your eye. She is losing it. She is bawling and weeping. She could not contain the thought of grace and mercy and forgiveness and the kingdom of God that has come and, and all that this means for her, a sinner. And she is weeping. That's what we do when we're under conviction. That's what we do when we realize the depth of how much Jesus loves us despite us. And she, she's weeping. She has this moment where she looks down and she sees his dirty, nasty feet. And her tears have gotten on his feet. And so she does the only natural thing. She begins to clean them. But she doesn't have a towel. There's not one available. So she, she lets down her hair. And she begins to use that. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to us. But in their culture, for a woman to let down her hair was, if you were married, was grounds for divorce. To let down your hair in front of other men, other people, would have been to show your beauty. It would be the equivalent of being topless in our culture. Let me just say it, okay? She let down her hair. She begins wiping his feet, cleaning his feet. For us, this is so strange. We can't even fathom getting ourselves into this situation where we need to let down our hair to clean someone's feet. But for, for them, this was totally normal. She was honoring Jesus in the only way she knew how in this moment. She was submitting herself. She was, she was degrading herself because, because the, the worst of the worst servants were the ones who cleaned feet. She has put herself at the bottom and she's wiping his feet, cleaning his feet. She takes it a whole nother level. She begins kissing them. I don't know what the urge is there. But she's kissing his feet out of, out of love and affection. And she even takes this expensive perfume ointment. And she anoints his feet to clean. Why would anybody put something so expensive on something so dirty? Why would she put this perfume on his dirty, nasty feet? 
And it becomes a picture for us. Why would Jesus forgive such a dirty, nasty woman? Why would Jesus pour out something so great of of value and forgiveness? And why would he put it on this woman, right? It's a picture. Jesus did this for her. Now she's doing it for him. Look at verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he's, he's thinking this, he, he's mumbling under his breath, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. But this Pharisee is very frustrated by what is happening and, and he's not just frustrated that this unclean, dirty, nasty woman is in his house. He's really concerned with Jesus and his identity. And he's saying he can't be a prophet. Because if he was a prophet, he would know that this woman is a sinner. He shouldn't be touching her. He shouldn't let her touch him. Right? This is a bad, bad look for Jesus. And this Pharisee is disgusted by this. What does that prove to us? He doesn't believe in Jesus. He doesn't believe his word. He has a hard heart towards Jesus. But Jesus absolutely knows who this woman is. He absolutely knows what she's done and where she's been and all the reputation that she has. But he also understands how sinful this Pharisee is. Jesus knows his thoughts, knows his heart. And this self-righteous, hypocritical, religious leader was probably the worst sinner in the room, right? Because he believed he's not lost. He believed that he has his life together. He believes he doesn't need redemption. He doesn't need forgiveness. He has put himself above this sinful woman, not only physically with the washing of feet, but, but, but spiritually, and he, and he shows that he doesn't really understand that we're all down here, right? And this sets up the rest of the story, the, the, the contrast between the self-righteous Pharisee up here and the notorious sinner of a woman down here. And that's the rest of the story that Jesus begins to play on. And we have to learn from it. So look at verse 40. So Jesus answered him. It's funny. Jesus answers him. He doesn't even ask a question. He doesn't say anything out loud. He just thought this to himself. But Jesus answers his question. And he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. And Jesus tells him a parable, a story, to illustrate a spiritual point. And he says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Jesus tells this story to combat his wrong way of thinking. And it's a very easy story for us to understand, right? There's a moneylender, there's a bank. And they loan two different people these loans. One of them uh, is 500 denarii. The other is... 50 denarii. So a denarii was like basically a day's wages for like a skilled labor, right? So I just did some math. Let's call it 250 bucks. If you worked really hard, you were good at a skill, and you worked all day, you could make 250 bucks. So one guy takes out a loan for about $12,000, right? 
Pretty significant, right? Might use it to buy a car. We might use it to refinish the house, whatever, right? Not a ton of money, but still a good chunk of change. The other guy borrows $125,000, much more significant, right? And as it were, they could not pay, right? He could not pay. And so the, what did the moneylender do? We'd all love to have moneylenders like this in our life. They said, we cannot pay. And what does he do? He forgives it. Now he just writes that off. You don't owe any debt anymore. He cancels it. So what happens? That moneylender takes a hit, takes a personal hit. Right? He bears the cost of forgiveness for this. Now, if you were the one who got forgiven $12,000, Listen, I'd be very, very thankful, right? I'd have a lot of love towards you if you forgave me $12,000. But you know what? If you forgave me $125,000, I'd be a lot more loving. There'd be a lot more brownies for my wife. There'd be a lot more whatever towards you for forgiving such a large amount. It's only natural. Jesus asked, which one would love more? Well, definitely the one who was forgiven more. Now, is Jesus giving us a banking class? No, right? Is he giving us financial advice? No, don't lend to these two debtors, okay? That's the financial lesson. What's the spiritual significance? He's exposing the difference between this Pharisee who has a smaller debt and this notorious sinful woman who has a larger debt, right? And he's, he's, he's teaching that what true forgiveness does to somebody is it changes them, right? So he turns to the woman, verse 44. He says, he turns to the woman and said to Simon, he's speaking to the Pharisee. He said, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Right? Jesus, Jesus begins to point out to this Pharisee the difference between the Pharisee and the notorious sinful woman. And it's not what the Pharisee expected. Jesus points out three standard acts of hospitality that would have been normal in their day. To wash your guest's feet, or to at least have a bowl and they can wash it. To uh, greet them with a kiss that feels weird for us. It's not in a lot of parts of the world, right? But to greet them with a, a little, you know, just a little cheek thing, not the whole mouth. Anyway, um, and to anoint their head with a little bit of olive oil, just to freshen up, right? These were three very standard acts of hospitality if you had a guest in your house. And Jesus says, you invited me to lunch, thank you, but you don't, even, you don't even want me here. You have no intention of genuinely showing hospitality to me. There is no love towards me, and you've shown that by your actions. You've insulted me by bringing me here, not washing my feet, not kissing me, and not anointing my head with oil. And though you are righteous by all other standards, your love for me is squat, nilch, zero. He says, in contrast, this notorious sinful woman, 
You didn't even give me a bowl of water. She's wet my feet with tears. You didn't kiss, you didn't greet me with a kiss. She's kissing my feet. And you didn't even give me some cheap olive oil to rub on my head. She poured out her best on my feet. She is going above and beyond to show her love. Why? The point is because she's been forgiven a lot. And so she loves a lot. Which one of these people shows that they have been forgiven? The notorious sinful woman, not the self-righteous Pharisee. You can see it in their actions. You can see it in how they're treating a stranger, treating a guest, right? And Jesus tells her, verse 47, where he tells Simon, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. He tells her that her sins have been forgiven, and, and the, the point here is this, not that because she came in and did all this, now she's earned forgiveness. That's not, that's not the meaning of it at all. He's saying her sins are forgiven for she loved much. He's saying she has shown how much she has been forgiven in the past. She's given the evidence right here because she's loving me that she has been forgiven in the past. It's the evidence of her transformed life that points to her state of forgiveness. People say it all the time, hurt people hurt people. Well, loved people love people. Forgiven people forgive people. We will not love unless we have been loved. We will not forgive unless we have been forgiven. Jesus says we are to forgive in the same way that we have been forgiven. We are to love in the same way that we have been loved. And this woman understood that. The Pharisee, no, he did not. Forgiveness means that her slate has been wiped clean, just like this debtor. It's been canceled. All the things that she's been known for, all the pattern of life that she has done that has given her this reputation, he says it's forgiven. It's wiped away. It's canceled. It's remembered no more. There are no obligations to continue to work on that. It's done. It's wiped clean as if it never existed. And the one who has forgiven is going to bear the cost of that. Right? The one who uh, Jesus is forgiving is going to bear the cost of that. That's why Jesus said he came to seek and to save the lost. He came to, to die on a cross so that we could have forgiveness. He was going to bear the cost of forgiving us so that our slate could be wiped clean, so that we would no longer be known for our sin, but we would be known by our love because we have been loved. He says, he who is forgiven little loves little. Now, Jesus is not saying that this, this Pharisee is not a sinner, Right? He's not saying, well, you just, you know, you messed up that one time when you were 12 and, you know, and then that again when you were 18. That's not what he's saying at all, right? And that, that may have been how the Pharisee thought of himself. But he's saying, you don't understand how much sin you really have. You don't understand how deep this goes in your heart. If we are to really love Christ, then the first step 
is that we must really understand how sinful we are. We have to understand our own depravity, our own brokenness, to recognize how far Christ came and how much price he paid to forgive us. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. And each one of us should think like Paul, that we don't look around and go, hey, I'm up here. I haven't sinned near as much as those people. No, no, we look at our lives. We look at our own hearts. And we say, Jesus came to save sinners. And man, I'm the foremost, right? That's not false humility. That's not exaggeration. It's an understanding of our own sinful hearts. And until we do that, we will not love big like Jesus loved us. In verse 48, he looks at her directly. And he says, your sins are forgiven. He affirms it. And this was no small gesture for Jesus to look at a prostitute in the eye and say, your sins are forgiven. Look at verse 49. You would think there'd be this rejoicing, right? Man, this is awesome. She's been brought out of this. Verse 49. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? They're not rejoicing They're judging. (laughs) They're concerned that Jesus would forgive such a woman. They're concerned that Jesus would wipe away the debt of somebody so notorious for their sin. And they're questioning, is he really God? Because if he's claiming to forgive sin, then he's claiming to be God. And we don't even believe that he's a prophet, let alone God himself. They're proving their unbelief in this moment. But Jesus is not swayed. Look at verse 50. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He says it's her faith, it's her belief in Jesus that that has led her to this salvation, to this forgiveness. And she can go in peace. She's not lived in peace her whole life. She's lived in strife and she's been looked down upon. She's been taken advantage of. She's been all sorts of things, but peaceful has not been one of them. And Jesus says, you're saved, you're forgiven, go in peace. Now friend, today that's the truth for each one of us. We may have buttoned up lives. We may appear on the outside to be a little less sinful than maybe some of those other notorious sinners out there. But the truth is the Pharisees, the hard-hearted, the self-righteous at that table were no different than that sinful woman. But there is forgiveness available to us too. There's forgiveness available to all. It's good news for everyone, not just for those certain group or certain people. He says the good news of forgiveness, of salvation, of peace is for everyone. We can be set free, released from all the reputations and the addictions and the brokenness and all that in our past. That's what God wants. That's why he sent Jesus, to rescue us from that. And so as we wrap up today, I want, us to, I want you to think, how do I view myself Do I view myself in this story as as the sinful woman? 
Great. There's forgiveness available. Do I view myself in this story as the, as the righteous Pharisee who doesn't have a lot of outward notorious sin in my life? Great. There's forgiveness available for you. Sinner today, and I'm talking to every one of you, myself included, no matter what you've done, no matter what your reputation is, no matter how bad you think it is, Jesus can and will forgive you. It's only through faith. It's only through belief in him. But there is forgiveness. There is a clean slate. There is a canceling of the debt that we owed because Jesus came and he bore that cost on Calvary. He died on the cross for our sins, though he was perfect, so that we could go in peace, so that we could live free lives. Now, sinner, if you've been saved, if you've been loved this much, we are called to go and do the same, to love that much, to love our neighbor, to love our community, to love our family in the same way. Let me pray. God, I thank you for this good news this morning, God, that there is forgiveness available. God, God, you know my heart and you know how sinful and wicked it is by nature, God. God, and yet you set your love upon me, though I did not deserve it, God. And many today in this room would confess the same thing, that, that, that we did not deserve salvation. There's nothing about our life that, that warranted it, God, but you have freely given it. You've borne the cost. You've paid the bill. It's all been taken care of. There is forgiveness available. Many would say that today. God, I pray for the one in the room that doesn't know that, that has no concept of forgiveness and freedom and mercy and grace. God, may today be the day of salvation for them. May they understand that no matter what they've done, it's not about that. It's what you've done. And you've paid the price for us to be forgiven. God, may we see the immensity of that this morning. And may we love in the same way. May we forgive in the same way. May we show grace and mercy in the same way. And so we love you this morning. God, we, we praise you for all you've done. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.